Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to come before your throne. Let us find mercy and grace always to help us in time of need. We we need you all the time, Lord. We don't ever want to think we don't. So we want to acknowledge that need. Thank you for providing for us. We just want to hear what you have to say to us on this Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, celebration of your raising from the dead and our raising with you. So we thank you for this time with you today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen, amen, amen. So um, we're going to talk some more. We, yesterday we went over some things having to do with where Jesus was on Saturday. And uh, uh, it it was kind of enlightening. I, I like going over, you know, that kind of information. Uh, it's good background information. It's good foundational stuff for us. And uh, it gives us assurances that every prophecy that was told about Jesus was fulfilled. Amen. That's one thing you can be sure of. He fulfills his word. And that's validated over and over again for us uh, through the word. You'll see sometimes uh, uh, passages of scripture will say that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken. You know, some things are he did just so it would be fulfilled. You understand what I'm saying? That's purpose too. Amen. That's not, it's not like that doesn't mean anything. What it really means is that the descriptions of Jesus were so detailed that, uh, they detailed every little thing that he did. Some of the things you look at and you say, oh, okay. Oh, he was fulfilling prophecy about himself. Like when he healed people, you know, he, you, you look at and you say, well, gee, why did he heal so-and-so, or did they earn it, or how'd you earn a healing? Well, I know you don't earn a healing, got to believe God, but it doesn't look like they had any faith, and it said that it might be fulfilled. Duh. <laughs> Amen. And so so these things are, are just true. Jesus was always fulfilling prophecy, and so the fact that he descended into the lower parts of the earth was a fulfillment of prophecy as well. He told his disciples that. In fact, told the Pharisees they were looking for a sign. He said, I'm going to sign you. Take this sign. You know, like Jonah was three days in the belly of the whale. I will be three days in the center of the earth. And many times people would go away confused and puzzled. Well, how many of you know being confused and puzzled is the first step toward getting revelation? Amen. <laughs> when you finally admit you don't know everything, that's when God will start to enlighten you. Amen. And so, uh, yeah, so, so many times he, he would say things and it would just leave people stunned and they didn't know where to fit it in into their understanding of who he was. So that means you don't have a right understanding. Amen. You gotta get God's understanding of things. So we're gonna continue on. Today we're gonna talk about the fact that the curse was nailed to the tree. Amen. The curse was nailed to the tree. When Jesus was nailed to the tree, his human body, uh, God laid the curse upon him. Uh, and that curse was rendered inoperable anymore and ineffective in the life of a believer. Which means that Galatians 3.13 has now come to life for us. It's come to pass. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. 
Amen. And when when that scripture, when those scriptures were first prophesied about him, they had no concept of what a crucifixion was. Amen. See, this is the, the thing about the words of, and this is why you got to take time to read your Bible and meditate on your word or what you read. Because you just can't speed read the Bible and think you got everything. And then the getting it is not the hard part. Living it's the, the, the trick. You understand what I'm saying? You need help living it too. You know, you may get a little scripture in you, but you still have the proof of the pudding is, is always in the eating. It's what, what does that word do for you in real life? And, and can you live it? Amen. And so when we see that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, we need to understand more about what that entails. What are we redeemed from? Why do we need redemption? Why can't we just go through life and get everything we want? You know, there's this thing called sin, iniquity, and the curse hanging over all of humanity. Amen? Now, just being born again doesn't give you um, authority and power uh, to act out your total redemption. You've got to, to learn these things and understand these things. And the more you are given over to learning and the more you're given over to understanding, the more benefit you will get out of your salvation. You know, it's not a big deal to, to confess Christ. I mean, it is the biggest deal in your life, but, but can you live out the rest of the life that he has for you? See, that's where the challenge is. And that's where you need to understand redemption. You need to understand what you have, who you are, whose you are, who you serve. Oh, I got to serve somebody. You've been serving the devil and ain't been complaining. You know, saints kind of bug me sometimes. You know, you mentioned servitude. Well, I read a scripture. I don't care what you read. The Bible says you can't serve two masters. You In this life, you have a master. You ain't in charge of nothing. Amen? You know, the devil's got a, a hand. of you like a hand puppet. He's got a hand up your back making you do everything you do as a sinner. And you think you're in charge of stuff. Huh? Black China got that much sense. I heard she got say. Look, listen, listen. Right, yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Alicia woke up, okay, so. <laughs> Amen, because she knew she was we're just testing the um, alarm system, okay? <laughs> Anywho, uh, but we we need to give ourselves over to the mastery of the Lord Jesus Christ. You got to make him your savior, your Lord, and your master. Amen. I don't know of too many people who would do as much for a human being as Jesus has done for us and expect nothing in return. We should be happy to serve him. You know, I don't know where people think they're going with some of this, you know, stuff they talk about. We're not, not longer, no longer servants. We're friends. You're not only servants. You're friends. Listen, I don't have too many friends that ain't willing to do something for me. I don't know about you, but I don't collect lazy people. I don't collect stubborn people and I don't collect rebellious people. Cause I'm not that way. Amen. 
You you attract what what's like you, what complements your life. Amen. So anyway, let me move on before I digress too far. But Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. What did the curse of the law entail? Well, if you read the the law books in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, it talks about the curses uh, being very numerous, and and God enumerated how Israel was to understand when they had had broken His law and were suffering under the penalty of the broken law. And this is what Christ did. He took away the penalty of breaking the law. We still sin. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's just hard to get up in the morning and do everything right. By by noon, you need to get on your face and repent. You understand what I'm saying? You done thought something stupid or, you, oh, yeah, I'm going to get up and read my word first thing. And before you know it, it's midnight. You ain't read nothing. Amen. And you can't account for where you were for the past 24 or 12 hours. And so there, there we always were on a foul, foul of God's law. But thank God he made a way for us to be forgiven and cleansed. Amen. See, forgiven is one thing. Forgiven is a legal term. You know, the, the, whatever you did wrong, it's erased from under your name kind of thing. That's what forgiveness is. But cleansing means that you can operate in life as though you never did anything wrong. You know how, how it is sometimes you, you, you have issues with people or you offend them or you know you might even have an argument with somebody and you know you you forgive each other and it might be days you walking on eggs and not sure if they how they feel about you how you feel you know the whole nine yards you don't get that when you get cleansed when god forgives you he forgives you and cleanses you and your sins he remembers no more so quit bringing up the same old stuff. Work on this new stuff you just did. You understand what I'm saying? Because we always manufacturing more disobedience. Amen. You know, I'll I'll go to the doctor and they'll give me a little diet sheet. You know, girlfriend got to take off some pounds. Everybody puts on pounds. You think you won't gain weight? Wait till you get forty. Wait till you get fifty and beyond. <laughs> Huh? You know, these little young skinny girls look at you and say, oh, you mean you can't take a few pounds off? Honey, when I was your age, I said the same thing. And then I started living. Amen. You know, I get them little sheets and the first thing I look at is how can I cheat and get what I want? I mean, it's just in me somehow. It's just in me, but I'm working on it. All right, that's what we always say. So, so iniquity still is an issue for us. It's still there. You can go off the rails over anything, you know, and your mind will start playing tricks with you, and you start imagining all kinds of things that you know. That's sin too. Jesus said, if you if you conceive it in your heart, you already done it. That don't mean go out and do it. 
I'm going to go in the backyard. I'm going to maybe them guys back there in the grill is open for a little preaching. <laughs> Amen. But but Jesus did redeem us. What did the word redeem mean? I, I like that concept. Amen. I like it. Because really, the word redeem really means that you're not really entitled to it. You, there's a penalty there. Amen. That you can't pay. And so when, when your redeemer comes, he pays the penalty for you. And then you get the benefit of all of that life that you were supposed to have. So, so that word, uh, 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 redeemer goes back to, uh, uh, even the time of Jacob in Genesis. I will go back there. Let's look at that for a minute. Genesis 48 and verse 16. This is Jacob blessing his his offspring after all the struggles of his life. Uh, he finally gets to his old age and he's able to bless uh, all 12 sons and their children before he passes away. And he says here, he talks about the angel. He says, the angel which redeemed me from all evil. Amen. In other words, everything, if, if you know anything about Jacob's story, he's Esau's brother. They were twins. Esau was first born, was supposed to be the one in Jacob's spot, inheriting everything that the family had. But Jacob tricked his dad into blessing him instead of blessing his brother. Amen. And, and so he got his dad. His dad was old and blind and he and his mom cooked up this scheme. You know, to paste hair on him, make him smell like his brother. And I'm like, man, but the man was blind. They took advantage of him. Amen. Which is not good. But his mother was so pressing on the issue. They, they got away with it. And Jacob, uh, came up with the blessing, with the birthright actually. And, uh, and the blessing. Uh, but he couldn't make it work because he had bad habits. He had, you know, low character. There are a lot of things about him that would not qualify him to act out the blessing. See, that's why we need a redeemer. See, you can, you can have all the right parts. You know, you can be, uh, intelligent, well educated, smart. But if you wake up one day and, and the devil tells you you a woman and you were born a man, you got problems. You ain't going to be able to do You need a redeemer, honey. Before you make another step, you need somebody to redeem you and shake you over into a right mentality so that you can get up and have success with all your qualifications that you have. Amen? And so when we think about that, think about the fact that we all fall into that category. You know, some of us are, are fast starters and then we kind of fizzle out before the finish line. You know, you have a good idea, you get started in it and you are making plans and uh, you're going through and then all of a sudden you hit a snag and you feel like you can't overcome it and you've dropped the whole idea. You're off doing something else now. Amen. Everybody's got a little quit in them. You got me? 
that's you know I, I remember when I was uh, uh, in in one of my my former twelve step programs. Thank you very much. I'm a graduate of several. Anyway, but they had a slogan, you know, especially well, I wasn't an alcoholic. Thank God, I was a lot of other things, but alcohol wasn't one of them. You know, um, like my my dad said, he he was alcoholic. We had a lot of alcoholics in our family. Thank God, I'm redeemed. But uh, I remember my dad. We he was uh, had to go in for detox. He was a veteran, so he would always check into the VA hospital. And I called over there looking for him, and they didn't know where he was. <laughs> I said, I asked the lady. I said, Did you lose my daddy? But you know, knowing him, he's gonna find his way back wherever he's. He's never lost. He's never. God just took care of that man miraculously. And he lived to be 96 years old. Amen. Probably was older than that because he always shaved a couple years off his age. Especially when the ladies were around after my mother passed away. So, you know what I'm saying? He, he, he was who he was, you know, and thank God God took care of him. But, but when I finally got him on the phone, I said, Daddy, where? He said, Oh yeah, you know me. I'm over here at the VA. And I said, Well, they're treating you good. Oh yeah. He said, The only thing is they got a lot of these crackheads over here. And I said, I said, Well, everybody over there has, you know, I'm trying to smooth Daddy. Everybody's got problems. He said, Oh, I ain't no crackhead. I said, Well, what are you? He said, I'm the alcoholic. He at least got that from his AA program, amen. But but they had a saying in the twelve step programs. They say, "Don't quit quitting. Don't quit quitting. If you got a bad habit and you need to quit it, don't quit quitting. If you got a good habit, don't let quit come in and separate you from your future, amen. And so, quit has a, a good good connotation and some some risk some things you need to quit you need to to continue to quit amen but then there's some things that you want to have success in you have to understand that you're redeemed to the point where you will have success in it you don't have to quit things just because they get difficult for you or you don't have to quit things just because you can't somehow pray and ask god to give you the next some people are afraid of living by faith. They don't want to go to the next level with God. But God will take that out of you. Why? Because you're redeemed. It has no power over you anymore. Amen? So the word redeemed means that you have been purchased out of the power of something. Not only just you, you know, you're, you're redeemed and you're prosperous and all that, but poverty has no power over the redeemed anymore. Amen? So Jacob had met an angel that he wrestled with all night. People think it was the Lord, you know, pre, pre-incarnate Jesus, but you know, he, he knew it was somebody that was sent by God. And he said that the angel which redeemed me from all evil, he called on that God to bless all of his children and all of his offspring. Why? Because he knew he was the redeemer that was, that had the power to help him to be successful. Jacob went on to breed cattle. He was, he had an understanding of genetics way back in, in, you know, in the first century of man's, man's being. Amen. 
And so we need to understand that, that, that there are some things that come with redemption that will not come any other way. It won't come through college. It won't come through books. It won't come through secular learning. It won't come through friends or, or favor with people. It's got to come strictly from God. Other than that, that power will overtake you and cause you to fizzle out, cause you to quit, cause you to not want to prosper, not care. You'll say one day, well, I don't care if I do this right or not. Don't ever say that, especially if you've been working. You've invested time in something. You cared at one time. You know, what's happened now is you got a little frustrated. So one of the things God redeems us from is ourselves and self-defeat. Amen. And, and feeling like we can't accomplish certain things. You can do everything. You just got to get God to give you the strength to do it and believe that you can do it. So here um, in the the idea of a redeemer comes from the Hebrew word goel, G-O-E-L or goel. And it means to, where did I put my definition? Uh, it means, actually, it means a next of kin. So, see, in certain cultures, that's everything. See, we just look at it as, you know, some of them cousins over there, you glad they don't show up at the Christmas dinner. We ain't talking about that. Amen. Talking about, you know, Babra and them and Man Man and Pookie and, and that crowd. Amen. This is, this is everything to a person to have somebody that is a relative of yours because in Hebrew culture, a relative was committed. You had a covenant with your whole family. And if you were a relative, you were committed to undertake for your relatives if they ever fell into hardship, if they ever came into harm, if they ever came into a situation where they were without, bereft, orphaned, widowed, whatever, you were never alone if you could locate your next of kin. And when you located, you pretty much knew they were going to take care of you because they were obligated by God to do that. Amen? So it's not like we live now. Nowadays, you know, we run from relatives. You know, to be honest, everybody trying to forget something and live higher than they were when they grew up, all that kind of nonsense. We don't even honor the fact that we we have relatives and that kind of stuff. And we don't really have that kind of culture where they're obligated. You know, you start leaning on some relatives too much and they start rolling their eyes at you and throwing hints. And, when you're moving out, you told me it's going to be here for the weekend. Should have known better because they brought three suitcases with them. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. So the Goyal is the one who delivers or rescues. I like that. Because you don't know of a human being with skin on that you can depend on like that. But you can, God. Amen. It says here, he can provide our inheritance. So it's it's not like you're an orphan and you're broke and you don't have anything. God always provided for his people. You have an inheritance, but you got to go through legal channels in order to claim it. And so many times this this kinsman redeemer was somebody who was distant, 
uh, was, uh, or lived in another city or, or something like that. And, and people would wait sometimes languishing, trying to figure out when somebody was going to come and bail them out. Widows and orphans always were longing to, well, where's my next of kin? I hear, uh, my, my late husband had a brother somewhere and he had a cousin and all that kind of stuff. They are longing for this person to show up and bail them out, not only, and they didn't get bailed out as somebody who had nothing and was broke and pitiful. They had inheritance. They needed somebody to come and help them claim it. Just like we. We have an inheritance in God. Jesus was the one who had to come and help us claim it. Amen? And so we long for somebody who's going to be our everything. Oh, when he shows up, he's going to, you're going to get my money back for me, get my, 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 uh, uh, status back. I'll have a roof over my head. We'll have land. We'll have all of these things that are needed so that I can live and survive and continue on. Amen. God wants us to continue on. He doesn't want things to stop just because you're having a hard time. He's there to bail us out 100%. Amen. Now, I don't care what it is that that comes against you. He's there to bail you out 100%. So this next of kin concept implies that when this person shows up, they're going to fix everything. You'll, you'll, you'll be housed. You'll be clothed. You'll have land to farm. You'll have uh, security. You'll have everything that you need. So there's no, no, um, uh, wonder that Israel was looking for a Messiah because Messiah was going to come in this way as the kinsman redeemer to make sure everything was in peace in their lives. Nothing missing, nothing broken. They had the full inheritance. Everything that God gave them, they were able to now claim it and enjoy it because Messiah is coming. And for centuries, Jewish people look, oh, when Messiah comes, he's going to, you know, all when Messiah comes, you know, I may not, I may be poor now and I may not have much, but when Messiah comes, see, they were looking forward to him. Unfortunately, they missed him. Amen. But he came. Amen. And he's here for us. And he's here for all of humanity. Amen. So, so the kinsman redeemer was able to buy back a relative's property if the family was dispossessed. He was able to marry the widow. He was able to avenge them. If anything was stolen or missing, he, he legally he could go and claim it and get it back for them. He was able to deliver, to purchase, to ransom, to free up and bring back to dignity. Now, how much more do you need? Amen. You know, Christian live, Christians living beneath their privileges. You know, it's it's a damage to you in a way. You don't feel good about yourself. But if you could understand for one minute all that Jesus has purchased for us, and you now have a full inheritance, amen, you need to go about learning how to claim it. That's all. That's the only thing that's a missing piece for us. Oftentimes we don't know how to claim it. So what do we do? We hear something good from the word. We sit up and shrug our shoulders and go back to living the same old way. Amen. God wants us to live the way he wants us to live. 
But you got to learn about him. Jesus said to do that, to take my yoke upon you and learn about me. Got to learn some stuff. And once you start learning, keep learning. Amen. And so God wants us to live in the fullness of our inheritance. He sent Jesus as our kinsman redeemer to purchase that back for us. Amen. Many times when if a, a woman was a widow, w- widows could not claim inheritance for a good reason. Because if you did not have a husband, there's a lot of stuff you couldn't do. What good would the land do you if you didn't know how to farm it? If you didn't know how, and, and don't get me wrong, don't try to put those people in our timeline. Cause you'll make a mistake. Cause during that time, women didn't, didn't, um, go out and farm cause they didn't have time to. And men, then you had this mixing up stuff. Well, I think a man should should take care of the world. You know, you push that enough. Now you got men out there saying they can get pregnant. So quit pushing this stuff that you don't know nothing about. And I don't know about none of y'all other women, but I was married. If my husband hadn't passed away, I was married for 30 years. I'd be married now. How you can say you'd be married? Trust me, I know. I'd be married now. You got me? But I can tell you for a fact, my my husband didn't cook for me. He didn't clean the house. Now he straightened up behind himself, but he didn't go deep, real deep over that edge. And I'm glad he didn't. Because I'd be married to Caitlyn Jenner. Wake up, Alicia. <laughs> Look her cut her eyes. <laughs> you can't push things you don't know anything about. You never created anybody. You don't own anybody. And certainly you don't tell somebody else how to live their life. I don't care if you are married to them. Amen. And so we, we have these perversions of things but back in the day you know people look back there and say oh women couldn't even own property yeah for a good reason she couldn't do nothing with it she didn't have the skills she didn't have the people she didn't have the clout to make a bunch of uh farm hands work for her you know it's just easier to just you know wait for your ring to come and Just wait on your redeemer to come. Marry into the situation. You got the whole thing taken care of. And so they were waiting for a, a relative to marry the widow and then redeem the property. So it's not like she was broke looking for somebody to take care of her. She had stuff. She just had to have it activated. Amen. See, we read the story about Ruth and women get the wrong idea about that. You know, in fact, most of them don't read it. They just hear some rumors about. But the one thing they do, they say, I'm waiting on my Boaz. Huh? They do. They pick that up and don't even know what they're waiting on. Well, you have a full inheritance whether Boaz shows up or not. In Christ. See, they had an old covenant understanding and and application of it. In Christ, we have a new covenant application. 
So you don't have to wait on a husband to get an inheritance in God. You can have a full inheritance. And then the husband becomes the icing on the cake. Do you understand what I'm saying? But you got cake. You're not broke and pitiful and can't do not can't take care of yourself. Amen. You may not be too quick to let him know it, but you <laughs> most women are perfectly capable. You understand what I'm saying? So, so, but they waited for a kinsman redeemer because the inheritance was everything. And in Israel, they had land that was unclaimed. You got me? And, and in the year Jubilee, then it was redistributed, but it sat fallow for many, many years. Why? Because there was no near kinsman to come and helped, help, uh, redeem that. Many times uh, a relative had property of his own. He was married. If he's already married, he couldn't marry you. So there was this lack there. There was this gap. There was this loss that was waiting for the Redeemer to show up, for the Messiah to show up so that he could redeem everybody. And so God provided the kinsman Redeemer so that uh, people could know that they were cared for, they were loved. Somebody was there to help them in spite of everything that was going on wrong in their lives. And so they waited for the Messiah, just like uh, disinherited Jewish people would have to wait on a kinsman, near kinsman to come and redeem their property so that they could have a livelihood. You can have a place to live. You could have everything that was needed in life. Turn to Ruth uh, chapter 4. I was going to try and skip reading Ruth, but I think I need to. Ruth, you know the story. She was she was married to a man who passed away. Uh, his dad had passed away prior to him passing away. And um, where am I looking here? Judges, where you at? back here uh her her husband um, her mother was named naomi naomi was married to elimelech and he had two sons and they had two daughters and the all of the men in the family died so there's nobody to redeem property and so in ruth chapter four it 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 turns out that the one daughter-in-law decided to stay where she was, but Ruth, for some reason, wants to follow her mother-in-law, Naomi. Now, Ruth doesn't know anything about the laws of inheritance. She's had heard a little bit, but she's not a Jew. She's a Moabitess, so she grew up in a pagan uh, society. But somehow she really loves this family. She loved her husband. She loves the mother-in-law, and she loves her God. And she lets her know, she said, I'll go wherever you want me to go, wherever you go, I'm going to go. She said, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. In other words, I want adopted in. Amen. Even though they were totally broke. But Ruth finds out, Naomi finds out that, that there's some prosperity in the land that she came from. So they decide to go back. And little by little, Naomi begins to enlighten Ruth on the fact that they have a relative here that could marry her and redeem their property. Now, Naomi really has to drop out and forfeit her claim 
But she's really the one that gets it. Ruth is not, you know, she's not the next in line. And sometimes men would do that. They would claim widows just to get the property. You understand what I'm saying? But Naomi decides, no, it's not for me to marry this man, but he may want to marry you. And so we'll ask him and he, if he will do this kindness for us. And so when, when, um, Ruth comes into that town, she starts to gather, uh, wheat, barley, leftover barley. They were allowed to do that. If you were poor, People who had property would leave their property where they would leave harvesting what they wanted. And then the the poor people would come out in that field and glean. You weren't allowed to go through the whole field. You could only go in the corners. Amen. You couldn't just bust on somebody's property like that. Amen. Because their laws of inheritance were very strict. Wherever you set your feet, you could claim that land. That's why if you're helping out poor people, you tell them what's theirs and let them claim just the corners. If they walk through that whole property, they could lay claim to your property and you're being kind to them. So that's why they were only allowed to to glean in certain areas. But for some reason, uh, Boaz allows Ruth to go all over, glean wherever she wants to. See, he's treating her like she owns it already. You got me? He's training her how to receive and how to accept her inheritance. You know, that's real important, folks. Now, a lot of times we get a little testy with God because it seems to be taking too long for us to get our answer to prayer that we've been praying for. But you got to know that he's teaching you how to live as a saved person, how to live as a redeemed, how to get the greed out of you. Because many people, look at our, our millionaire athletes. After they retire 10 years down the road, they back broke again. Some of them before that. On drugs, can't keep anything. Why? Nobody's there to groom them how to hold on to their money. And so he begins to train Ruth in how to be the lady of the land, amen, how to be the wife of the man who owns everything, how to have some dignity about yourself. He tells her after she's out there in that hot sun for a couple of days, he said, ooh, sister, you're getting a little dark. Why don't you come on in here and don't glean no more? You understand what I'm saying? I mean, that ain't your life. You come in here. See, this is the way you need new peasants from 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 people who own stuff was by the tan that they had from working out in the fields. You got me? So he even brings her in from the hot sun so she don't get too tense. Of, <laughs> I smell marriage. Amen. And so she he allows her to assume a position that she does not even have yet as training. That's what God's doing with us, folks. We are We are the bride of Christ. We don't have that position yet. He, We haven't had the rapture yet. At some point, we will be in the full. But he's training us. He's putting clothing us with dignity. We don't, we don't have such loss anymore. We don't, if, if we suffer loss, we have dignity. We know he's going to get it back for us. We don't act like we've, we, you know, we're desperate. We're not desperate people anymore. We're desperate for him. But for the world's goods, we're not. 
And so he is training us to act as queens, not a Facebook queen. You got that dollar store tiara on your head. He ain't talking about nothing like that. It's just, that ain't what it's about. Amen. You know, we, we need to get the pretense out of us. Amen. We no more know how to act like a queen than anything, truth be told. But he's helping us. Amen. We're getting better at it. He's training us. Amen. Training us how to live, not live in desperation, but live by faith. Live in the confidence that he supplies all of our needs. Amen. So, so Ruth then has to do a little ritual that lets Boaz know that she is expecting him to redeem their property. And the way they did that was that the, the next of kin woman acted out by faith the, the role of the handmaiden of the man of the house. And so he was threshing in the threshing floor at night, went to sleep, and she went in and sat at the foot of the bed on the floor. And Naomi had told her to uncover his feet. And what, what happens when you all cozy in the bed and somebody takes the cover off you? You wake up. Amen. He had to wake up on his own. She couldn't go in there and make a lot of noise and say, you understand? <laughs> Trip over the dresser. Whoops. You know, that kind of stuff. See, y'all ain't right. It's all kind of devious ideas out there. Come on, straighten up here. And so when he would look up and see who it was, he would decide if, if that was going to be his wife. Amen. And he did explain to Ruth that, that he, there was one more person in their family that had a higher claim on that property than he did. But the next day he would go and straighten everything out and just trust him. Isn't that what God tells us? Just trust me. I got it all figured out for you. I know exactly what day your your blessing is going to come. I know exactly how it's going to come. I know where you're going to be at the time it happens. So just trust me and I'll get you there. Amen. So that's the picture of the kinsman redeemer. Somebody who's already family. Amen. Somebody that's near to you that you can trust. Now, of course, our laws now are different. You can't marry cousins and people like that. But back in the day, they had to just to preserve life. You understand what I'm saying? And so it was common for them to be in the same tribe or the same bloodline and be able to marry one another just to hold on to inheritance. So your land was everything. Your livelihood was everything. And you you had to hold on to it. Amen. Uh, remember um, Ahab, the King Ahab, and uh, Naboth, the vineyard that was next to him? You see, God really despised Ahab for taking that man's property. Amen. He wanted it to plant a flower garden or something stupid like that. And it was upset that he didn't have it and pouted in front of his wife. And she wrote a letter and signed his name to it. You got me? So it's nothing but witchcraft all the way down the line. And they took his land and killed him for it. Just And he's the king. He's got everything. 
Amen. So God despises greed. He really does, especially when it's it disadvantages somebody and it takes away somebody's inheritance. That was all the property he had. You might as well shoot him dead anyway. You take away his land. He can't live if you take that. And so um, that the redemption is very, very important to God. So because of sin, we were we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. We're not um, qualified to get our full inheritance from God. In fact, when you don't know God, you don't know you got anything. So he has to introduce us to Christ and introduce us to our full inheritance. And that's why we preach the gospel. That's why we tell people about Jesus. That's why we pray with people to receive Jesus as our, as their savior and as their Lord. And so when we understand the, the purpose of the born again experience is to introduce us to our redeemer, the one who has purchased us out of the power of sin and the curse and all the bad things that can happen. Amen. The devil doesn't own us anymore. He can't influence you unless you listen to him. Amen. God's given you the power to resist him. He says, submit to me and resist the devil. He's got to leave you alone. Amen. So you don't want the devil stuff. You want to live for God. You want to work for God. You want stuff that's going to be permanent in your life. Amen. The devil is the original repo man. He has set you up with stuff and get you to sign it on the dotted line. Before you know it, somebody backing up something in front of your house going to take it back from you. Because the devil don't guarantee to pay for it for you. God's the only one who guarantees to pay for you every single payment. Amen. And so, so Jesus is, is qualified to be our near kinsman and our redeemer. Amen. In Hebrews uh, 2 and verse 11, it says that Jesus is the firstborn of many brethren. So we are his brothers and sisters. Amen. So God being our father, Jesus being the firstborn, what does that mean? Well, in Hebrew culture, the firstborn was the administrator of the estate. Amen. He himself got a double portion of inheritance so that he wasn't subject to failure. See, if you got twice as much as everybody else, you can last a long time. Why? Because you got to run everything. You have to make sure everybody else has what's coming to them. And so Jesus, being the firstborn, is the administrator of this new covenant. Amen. And the Holy Spirit carries it out. So Jesus is the mastermind behind our inheritance. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. So he can tell you what's yours. He can prepare you for what's yours. He can make sure he can give you reassurance. You're not alone. I got this for you. You have this, you have that, you have everything. Amen. You know, it's good to learn how to live for God. Because if you'll do that, you'll find out you'll never lack. Not on anything. Amen. Now, people don't like to hear that because everybody has lack sometimes. Well, he didn't bring it to you. Huh? You know for a fact if you put that plastic back where he told you to put it instead of putting it in your purse that day, you've been a whole lot better shape. But he restores anyway. See, we wouldn't need a redeemer and a restorer if we did everything right. 
So we need him even more now that we're subject to mess up and be tempted to mess up. Amen. So, so it, praise God. He has people who can just obey him and they, they can show you the way they show you how it's done. You know, there are people that can tell you, you know, I've never had lack and this is how God showed me how to do it. Amen. So there's a place where, where we can walk that way and live that way. So, so Jesus, when he died on the tree, he was, he liberated people who were held in bondage. We read that yesterday, but why don't we read it again instead of doing, reading much of Ruth, we'll just move on. I just re- remembered that we're going to have communion, so I don't want to take too, too long with this, but enough. So in Matthew chapter 27, verse 45, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard it said that he's calling from Elijah, calling for Elijah. Straight away, one of them ran, took a sponge and filled it with vinegar put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, let it be. Let us see whether Elijah will come down and save him. Amen. Mockers. Jesus, when he had heard, had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. So he died. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn into from the top to the bottom. And the earth quaked and the rock shook and graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection, went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now, the fact that those graves opened up is extremely important because that's what a redeemer does. He breaks you out of jail. He breaks you out of prison. He breaks you out of death. As soon as Jesus paid the ransom, in other words, he died and gave up his life. As soon as that ransom dropped, them graves popped open. Why? Because the devil could not legally hold them any longer. So Jesus is true to his word. When he says, I'm your redeemer, he's your redeemer. Amen. Now, it may not have looked real nice and pretty for all them graves to pop open, but God keeps his word. He don't care how it looks to anybody. You know, I'm sure there were people going by scared. The scared, that probably scared everybody in Jerusalem. Amen. That was the talk of the city. You know, if anybody was looking for somebody when they died, then people got nervous. Well, I hear brother so-and-so's grave is open. I owed him 15 De Niro. I'm scared he gonna come looking for his money. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, that whole city was turned upside down. Think what would happen. I pass a, a cemetery every day going to come and, you know, every time I come to church, you know, what would I think if all that popped open? They were just open, you know, and you ain't curious to know what's going on inside anymore. Amen. And so, so Jesus in, in, he must have brought life back into those bodies because some people sat up. And you don't know how long, how long had they been in there? You know, most of them were probably dust, bones, but eternal life is that pop, you come right back to life. Amen. Glorified this time, never to die again. And so when he tells people they will live forever, he means that. 
Do you trust me? You'll live forever. You will never die. So when when the ransom was dropped, that was our ransom. His blood was our ransom. Amen. So when the ransom was dropped, then uh, the the dead in Christ were liberated. They couldn't walk out because he had to tell them what to do. If you're the body of Christ, you got to follow the head. So he held them there until he was able to ascend back into heaven and pay the ransom at the mercy seat. So he had to minister over their resurrection before they could come back to life and walk around. So that was an incomplete job. He had to complete the job before they could get up and walk around like many people saw them do. So we talk about the Redeemer. He purchases us out of the power of darkness in in different ways. And, and so I I was able to narrow it down. We're, we'll talk about seven ways that Jesus shed his blood or seven places his blood was shed and what it did for us. Amen. Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And uh, your sin is paid for by the application of the blood to your life. So we know it was, it was applied at the mercy seat when Jesus went, ascended into heaven. He went and entered into the Holy of Holies with his own blood. So now there's no holy place in the earthly temple anymore. The only place now is in heaven, and Jesus is our mediator. He is our high priest. He has to minister over our words, our confession, over our offerings, over our giving. He ministers over everything. So he either, it either meets his approval or it doesn't. Amen. And so he has that sovereign right as redeemer and Lord and king and Lord of all that he can do those things. So the first place that that if you'll turn to Luke chapter 22 and we'll finish these scriptures so that you can see evidence where you are redeemed from the curse, where the curse was nailed to the tree and buried and died not to raise up any more. And you are redeemed from that. In um, Luke chapter 22, in verse 41, it says, talking about Jesus, they went up to uh, the Mount of Olives to pray. And he kneeled down and prayed and said, Father, and the disciples were with him. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared an angel into him, to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, as he prayed more earnestly, his sweat was as if it were drops of blood falling to the ground. Now Jesus shed blood in the garden as he prayed. This is for all your little fake intercessor friends to talk about how long they pray and how hard. They ain't prayed this hard. You understand what I'm saying? You don't pray until you, you sweat blood, but blood poured out from him. Why? If he, it poured out from his brow. And what did that redeemed us for? That, that, that brought healing to your mind, to your soul, 
to your emotions. Amen. When that blood was poured out of him, he, he took on the, the burden of fear, of worry, of mental torment, of not having your freedom. Uh, if you, you know people in prison, this is for them because they can get relief. You know how you people live like they're not even in jail because God's touched them. They've been touched with that redemption. You can live. You see persecuted Christians in Muslim countries. They're happy and joyful and they're not afraid. They partaken of this. They are redeemed from the curse of, of death to your soul and a fearful soul and nervousness and looking for somebody to come and get you. All that kind of stuff. So you don't have to live like that when you belong to God. Amen. And you'll go through stuff. You go through mental torment where somebody has offended you or divorced you or, or suing you or whatever it is. But Jesus died for you to have peace even though you're going through difficult things. Why? Because that blood poured out of his, he was going through mental agony. He even asked the father to take this away from him if he could. And when he realized that he hadn't prayed it through, he went back and prayed some more. And the result was your redemption, was your freedom from fear, worry, people threatening you. You know, you get behind in your bills and you scare them. They ain't going to take your house. And if, if you get that far, God will give you, give it back to you, give you another one. But hold on to what you got. Don't let anybody take it from you. But you can be peaceful while you're going through. So he gave us, this is how the early church, you know, Stephen, who was martyred, they stoned him to death. Stephen wasn't up there worried. He was preaching. And he knew they hated him. And he knew they were going gathering rocks to stone him. He saw the whole thing. But he kept preaching because he looked up to heaven and saw his redeemer. And his his countenance changed. He got glorified right in the middle of them stoning him. Because Jesus paid for that. He paid for Stephen to be glorified even though he knew he was about to be murdered. All of the disciples went through that. Some of them were crucified upside down, beheaded, all that stuff. They knew what was coming, but they kept preaching anyway. Amen? Most of our so-called preachers we got nowadays change their story. Oh, yeah, I know it's in the Bible, but you know, I think. Matthew 27, if you'll turn there, see another example of where blood was shed to redeem us. And what were we redeemed from in the shedding of that blood? Matthew 27 and verse 26. Do I have the right one? Let me get over to 27. Sorry about that. <clears throat> 27, I'll start in 24. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather that a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude saying, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. 
Then answered all the people, His blood be on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now that beating that Jesus took, the scourging was where stripes were put on his back and really all over his body. There was not a place of his body that was not touched with with beating. Those stripes were for our healing. That fulfills Isaiah 53, 3 and 4. Amen. He was wounded for our transgressions. Your sin and my sin killed him and hurt him. You know, we try to detach ourselves from that. And even though Jesus counts us not responsible if we'll receive forgiveness, we still, if we never get forgiven, we got to live through the penalty of that. Amen. People get sick all the time. They come down with cancer. They come down with, with chronic illness. They're, you know, the Rona, you know, that we've been escaping for three years now and will continue as long as you stand on the word. But that's how to say you don't have Rona. She don't have you. Because he took stripes so you don't have to take Rona. He took stripes so that you don't have to take heart disease or high blood pressure. Amen. Or any disease. Amen. Arthritis. Whatever it is. He took stripes in your place. You should have had that, but he took it for you. Amen. Because our sin causes us to draw the penalty. But we're redeemed from the curse of the penalty of the broken law. None of the broken laws. Amen. And so, yes, be thankful to him for taking that for us. Amen. Because without it, we would be sick. We would be infirm. We would be all of those things. In Matthew 27, 29, just stay there in that scripture. Amen. Um, they planted a crown of thorns and put on on his head. Amen. It says, and when they have planted a crown of thorns, They put it on his head and a reed in his right hand and mocked him, bowed to him and said, Hail King Jesus of the Jews. And they spit on him. Amen. And and took a reed and hit him on the head. So they continued to mock him and beat him. Why? So that you could have dignity. Nobody could bring up your past anymore. If, if, and you don't get AIDS because you slept around everywhere or injected yourself with dirty needles, all that kind of stuff. You don't get that. Why? Because that, that crown that was put on his head was a crown of indignity. He took indignity so you can live dignified. Amen? You can let people know of your past life and it won't be held against you. People, the only thing that's left now is his glory. It was for his glory. You can tell people, you know what, I I had a girlfriend in a Bible study and, and she said, she said, I just can't even remember how many men I slept with. And she would hang her head down. But she learned how to hold her head up because she was forgiven. You got me? And when she would give her testimony, she would tell people what she had done. And they would say, but you look so you don't look like a person that lived like that. Amen. He took that, those thorns on his head and took that mocking and that spitting in his face so people can't spit on you and think you're less than what you're supposed to be. Amen. You don't have to let anybody look down on you because he took that indignity for you. The crown of thorns, thorns represent the curse on the land. 
were thorns in in genesis 3 god told the man and the woman the man that he would have to live by the toil of sweat on his brow and thorns and thistles the land would yield for him now you can go in your backyard and plant tomatoes and tomatoes come up you might have a few weeds here and there fighting you for them but you do get what you plant amen and that's because Jesus took that that curse of the land off of us, amen, when he he wore that crown of, of thorns, amen. So you don't live by this. Your labor isn't hard. You don't have you don't have to dread getting up going to work. Amen. You can tap dance like Michael Jackson, get your thing on and tap dance your way down there and tap dance everywhere you go. Going to work, whatever kind of job you do, it doesn't matter. Don't let people get you in a twit because you're not doing the kind of job they think you ought to be doing. You do what God has put before you. Amen. And be joyful about it. Amen. There are people that don't have jobs, people that don't have hands to work jobs, people that don't have a mind to do anything. But he gives that all back to us. Amen. When they pierced his hands, his pierced hands won prosperity for us. Because now we can prosper. Everything we set our hands to now will prosper because of what he did. Not because we're so skilled and we're so creative and we're so this and we're so that. He is the power behind your skilled hands. He is the thought behind your creativity. You wouldn't be creative worth nothing if he didn't give you a proper brain. Amen. And he can give them to anybody. He can bless anybody with great things. He wants to bless everybody. So he took that on him so that your hands could be blessed and your hands could do good. Amen. Psalm twenty two sixteen. he talks about our his feet being pierced. His feet are pierced so that yours can be blessed. What does blessed feet look like? Well, you know, I know they could use a word with some of us. I forgot. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean, I didn't mean not bless nobody. You know, them little pig feet down, them little hog knuckles down there. They'd be looking a little rough sometimes. <laughs> right. You leave a trail of dust every time you get a pedicure, but hey, you working on it. But feet mean that every place you step, you possess the land. You know, that means a lot to us in prayer. You want to possess your city for God. You don't want thugs running your city. Amen. You need to go walk some property. You need to go and tell God to bless it. God, I'm claiming this back for you, not yourself, but for you, for the Lord. Amen. For his glory. Amen. And he'll let you claim yours. You walk around your property that even if you're paying a mortgage on it, it's yours. God sees you as the real owner. Amen. Never to be uprooted. Amos 9.13 tells us. Amen. And, and, And finally in John chapter 19, they pierced his side. As he hung on the cross, this was to find out if he were dead, they, they thought he was dead, but weren't sure. They went to break his legs and, and saw that he was not alive anymore. He had already given up the ghost. See, God, 
God takes people when it's their time. You know, they thought it was too soon for him to, he died, you see, you can't take your, my life from me, you ain't in charge of this. The father's in charge of this. So he died when the father said he was supposed to die. You need to claim the same thing. Don't get out of here and go before your time. Devil has no claim on you. You're redeemed from the curse of early death. Amen. You don't have to die before you're ready. Stay here till you're satisfied. Amen. And stay here to bless people. Don't stay here to be a nuisance. To them old kids of mine, I ain't where they at. They gonna take care of me, huh? Amen. All that stuff. Amen. Be a blessing as long as you're here. Amen. So John nineteen thirty four. Where is it? Thirty one, the Jews therefore, because it was preparation that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken. They you know, Jews, they killing they killing God, but they want to be holy about it. Now we can't commit no atrocities on the Sabbath, so go break his legs so he'll die. Then came the soul. See, this, you know, people sometimes we look at people and wonder how they get so twisted and warped. Just read you a good scripture about some religious people and you'll see everything you need to see right there. And he said, but when they came to Jesus and saw that his, he was dead already, they broke not his legs, fulfilled the scripture. None of his bones were broken. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came out blood and water. Amen. People see that as a picture of the birth of the church. Amen. But but they say that physicians say that can happen when your heart bursts. So this is how he heals the brokenhearted. He died of a broken heart. Amen. And so this is how you redeem from heartbrokenness. Now, don't sit up and whine about what people did to you. You need to rejoice that you ain't getting paid back for the dirt you did to people. Let's put the shoe on the right foot around here. Now, you and nothing can be done about that. That past is the past, but you going forward, you can receive your healing from heartbrokenness. Amen. God can do a lot for us if we'll recognize our redemption in him. We don't have to. You don't have to have to. You're redeemed. Start understanding part of what you're redeemed from. Start understanding that you're redeemed from all of these curses. Don't ever say you can't do something. You're redeemed from the curse of I can't do. Amen. Because you can do all things. Just ask God to give you strength. Read you some scripture and build up your faith. Amen. For doing the impossible. There's a lot of stuff out here God wants done that's impossible right now for man to do on his own. And he's looking for some of his kids to raise their hand and say, here I am, Lord. Send me. Choose me. Amen. 
Because we are redeemed. With God, all things are possible, folks. We are redeemed from the curse of impossibilities. So, Ms. Nola, you ready to serve, serve our communion elements? We're going to partake of communion. Praise God. You know, Jesus cut covenant with everybody, all of his disciples the night that he was betrayed. Even though he knew Judas was going to betray him, he offered him friendship. Amen. So the communion table really is a table of friendship with God, but it's also a table of exchanging. Because that's really what a covenant is. He exchanged your sinful life for his sinless life. So it gives us righteousness, it gives us peace, it gives us really everything that we need that God has. So in sometimes when we struggle over certain things, it's wise to take communion so that you can uh, release yourself from the struggle if you will accept by faith the power that it has in your life to put you in a place where Jesus is. And we always want to be healed, and that's a good thing, and we want to be able to be prosperous and all of that. But have we ever just let God have it, but then receive Him, who He is, His power, His ability, His understanding, all of those things. And, and that's the power of communion. When he says, do this in remembrance of me, he's saying, remember what I did for you on the cross? I paid the price for you not to have to struggle the way you're struggling now. And I'm here to take that struggle away from you. And so when we receive communion, you're receiving the body, the resurrected body, and the resurrected blood of Jesus. Amen. It's not his earthly being anymore. So in his resurrection, his resurrection blood really is spirit. He's not flesh and blood anymore. He's flesh and bone, but he lives by the spirit. So his spirit will come into you in that area where you have pushed that aside and said, Jesus, I'm at the table of communion. I am putting out there for you to take from me my fears, my poverty, my tendency to overspend, my tendency not to honor you, my tendency to forget, my weakness, my fears, my discouragement, everything that comes upon us that is a hindrance to us. You know, there's some things, you know, not big things, you shake them off, but you don't shake off a lot of stuff because it's deeply rooted in us, and God knows that. And so communion is to go for the deep root, to root out the deep stuff so that you can come out of it with that that essence of God that you need to impart to you the power that you need. I remember taking communion uh, oftentimes for a sound mind because that was my history. I was depressed when I came to the Lord. And I'm not foolish enough to think that I'm running around here taking care of myself, you know, mentally speaking. You know, I'm always a little careful about obsessing over, you know, a little word people throw around now. You know, oh, she's just obsessing. I take that very personally. 
because I didn't been obsessed. You understand where I couldn't unobsess myself. You got me? Where you couldn't change your thoughts very often. You said to wait for the devil to leave you alone so you had peace of mind. So I don't play around in that, that sandbox no more. You know, I leave that and let it go. And careful about not holding grudges against people. That's another thing that will bring mental torment to you. You know, when I was depressed, I hated everything and everybody and didn't know why. You got me? And I'm not going to get there anymore. I keep very short accounts. I love everybody. Amen. Whether they love me or not, I, I get all the love I need from God. Because you know what? When when I need somebody with skin on to show me affection, he'll arrange it. So you don't have no work to do. All you got to do is please him, and he'll arrange everything else you need. Amen. I was I remember the first time I was uh, in a church, and you know how church folk are sometimes. There's good, bad, ugly, indifferent, you know, nice, pleasant, saints, whatever. And I remember doing some some hand. I used to do hand uh, scriptures and calligraphy. That was my my therapy to get me healed from from you know just have a wandering mind all the time. And I had given some to uh, some one of the deacons in the church, and I was, uh, and this had been some months before. And as I left the church, I saw uh, many of them on the floor. People were stepping on. Them. You understand what I'm saying? And see, as a new Christian, that's stretching out the best you know how to serve God. That's crushing. Be careful how you dishonor people's work efforts. You understand what I'm saying? And and I remember sitting on the bench in the lobby of the church, and I was just stunned. And I said, God, I said, I thought you told me to do that. What, you know, what happened? And a little girl came up to me. She was as tall as I, I was sitting down, and she was tall as me. And she kissed me on the cheek. She said, hi, pretty lady. And it broke me. And I forgave. And see, sometimes forgiveness takes brokenness. You can't just forgive by faith. I forgive them, Lord. I can with a bad attitude. You gotta let God show you some things sometimes. You gotta let Him show you the road to forgiveness and how to stay on that road. How to not hold grudges, not let them go deep. Like the devil wants us to stay deeply wounded. We have to learn how to do that. And so there may be things that are touch and go for you for many years in your life. But if you stay before God and you keep understanding that there's an exchange at the communion table, your sin for his righteousness, your weakness for his strength, your poverty for his wealth, your peace of your torn up mind for the mind of Christ, then as we take partake of these elements, you can get up whole, you can get up sound, some of you are fearing your future right now. You're scared to go forward, scared to go backwards. Can't go backwards, but you're like, you need to break out of that. God, whatever is next for me, I want to go forward. I'm not staying where I am. Don't, don't look at age. Don't look at physical condition. You move it. You understand? You're going forward. You're not going to stay where you are. And you're not going to stay the way you are any longer. So whatever it is that you feel like you want to release to God today, go ahead and release it to Him. If you're trusting God for your health, 
want to leave sickness at the communion table. Okay? As you take the bread and the wine, that he was betrayed Jesus said take and eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me why don't we all take the bread and just remember what Jesus did for you on the cross he redeemed you from every power that wants to hold you back in life nothing could hold you back now but we're going to assure it by, by going through what Jesus told us. We're remembering what he did, what he took from us, and what he gave us. So he is giving us health, wealth, peace of mind. Anything that you need in life, any place that you're weak within yourself, give that to him. Lord, I just give this to you. I give you this weakness. I'm not going to worry with it anymore. I give you my my, my body that, that needs to be strengthened to be healed, whatever it is. Lord, I give you my fear of lack, poverty, all of those things that plague my mind. Fear for my children. Are they going to continue to serve you? Are they going to come in and fully serve you? All of that, Lord, I'm pushing that across the communion table, and I'm giving it to you, and in exchange, I'm taking on your strength and your body. So take the bread, eat it, and remember it's sacrament we'll take forever as a church but take it in the right manner take it in remembrance of me remember what he did for you if you start worrying about things you've got to take yourself aside and God I'm going to have my own you can have your own communion at home you, you don't have to wait for here because it's so powerful in demonstrating to God this is what he instructed us to do this is not man made and he said, as often as you do it. He didn't say how often. And, and I like to make sure God has told me he wants me to minister it around certain things. We don't just do it every month, every first, this, every first. That's nothing wrong with that as long as it's meaningful. But it should not be limited to that. And it should not be demanded that we all hold the same schedule. You got me? So take the cup. He said, this is my blood, which was shed for you. You show forth my death until he comes again. This is how you do it in remembrance of him. So drink the cup. Amen.
worship the Lord for a little bit. Thank you, Lord, for taking away illness, sickness, weakness, taking away infirmity and giving us strength, taking every symptom out of our bodies and giving us health. Thank you for divine health. Thank you for sound bones. Thank you for sound uh, joints, cartilages, sound heart. Our hearts are fixed, Lord. We trust in you. Thank you, Lord, for a good future for us. We thank you, Lord, for everything that you're doing in our lives that is good. So we honor you, Lord. We bless you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for great prosperity for this body. For everybody in here today, Father, to prosper and be in health as their souls prosper, but that they would receive from you exceeding and abundantly beyond all that they can ask or think. Do miracles among us, Lord. Do miracles among us right now in the name of Jesus. Let your Holy Spirit come in and work with us, Father. Work with us, Holy Spirit. Do what only you can do your body. You died so we could be fixed and not broken. You died so that we could be fixed and not broken. Thank you, Lord, for healing our minds, healing our hearts, healing our past, healing our souls. We thank you for that.